The COVID-19 pandemic has changed life for all of us. But even before this, we were already fighting an epidemic, the battle against chronic disease. And those with chronic diseases are at highest risk of contracting severe coronavirus infections. So how do we protect ourselves during these uncertain times? But more importantly, how do we view health? Welcome to the Glass Half Healthy Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jonar, a board certified physician in internal medicine and lifestyle medicine. In this podcast, I want to address the current crisis of chronic disease and to challenge conventional attitudes towards health. We'll be exploring these issues with thought-provoking guests to help redefine what health should mean for all of us. I hope to inspire you to take action towards a happier, thriving life because good health comes to those who expect it. What is up, everyone? I am your host, Dr. Jonar, and this is my podcast, The Glass Half Healthy. It's officially been over three months since we launched on July 27th, and for our first-time listeners, welcome to my podcast, which ranked in the top 200 podcasts in the U.S. for health and fitness in its first week, and has managed to stay in the top 500 to date. Also, as I mentioned recently, I made it on the Board Vitals list of the best 50 doctors on Instagram to follow in 2020. And on a personal level, there are meaningful stories that people have shared with me. For example, a doctor friend told me that one of her patients has been searching on his own for ways to improve his health and came across a podcast on healthy living. So he showed my friend and it ended up being my podcast. How cool is that? Another one, a doctor direct messaged me on social media after listening to my podcast and said that he became inspired to attempt a plant-based diet for the first time. Man, I am honestly grateful that the show has already been able to inspire change in people's lives and all these other blessings I just mentioned during an otherwise tumultuous year. So thank you all for listening. But I'm always looking to fine-tune this show. So if you have any suggestions on topics you want to hear, how we can improve, or to just let me know how a specific episode or guest helped inspire you, hit me up at drjonar at gmail.com or direct message me on my social media accounts, which you can find the links to in our show notes. Looking forward to hearing from you. Okay, today is episode number 16. It's titled Self-Discovery Through Addiction Recovery with one of my launch day guests. Glad to have back on the pod, Heather Larican Rahino. She's here to tell her very personal experience through her addiction recovery process. An important one to share since her story is no different from many out there who have either struggled with addiction or know others who've experienced it. The pandemic has wreaked havoc on the addiction to drugs like alcohol, cigarettes, and opioids. Since March, the U.S. has experienced a surge in alcohol sales as substance abuse and relapses have also been on the rise. The widespread shutdowns have made it difficult for those seeking treatment, but it has also been a wake-up call, such as the case with our guest. To put this in full disclosure, Heather Larican Rahino is not just a private chef, fitness instructor, nutrition and culinary educator. She is my cousin who I grew up with. I've witnessed her transformation, and I am really just so proud of how far she has come. Heather discusses her own personal struggles battling addiction. Some may not realize, but a person who is in recovery 
the recovery part does not mean addiction is over. Did you know it takes a smoker about 30 quit attempts to finally kick the habit for good? So this is really a lifelong process, and Heather shares her insight into her own recovery. People are drawn to personal stories, and our society is especially focused on success. But what we need to do more of is just be open to discussing failures. And Heather does exactly that during this episode in a very real way. We can all learn from her to embrace our own failures, to do better in order to overcome adversity. And in Heather's specific case, this is addiction. The addict is often stereotyped in our culture. The celebrity who enters rehab or the drug addict in the alleyway. So from this emerges this pervasive attitude that addiction applies mainly to drugs, smoking, and alcohol. But Dr. Judson Brewer, a psychiatrist and neuroscientist who has studied the science of addictions for 20 years, wrote a book called The Craving Mind, which I read, and it reveals how we can use the very processes that encourage addictive behaviors to break free from them. In his book, he defines addiction as continued use despite harmful consequences. But if we broaden this to define addiction as a repeated behavior or action despite harmful consequences, addiction can encompass so much more, like food addiction that leads to real health problems, or social media and smartphone addiction that can lead to serious mental health issues, which can range from mild to severe forms depending on the person. And just like addiction to smoking, drinking, or drugs, those that fall in these other categories, they might not even realize they have a problem. So Heather has something to say for these people. During her recovery process, she worked through her addiction to discover the possibility of reaching the best version of herself. And here to tell her story in her own words, let's enter the pod with Heather Lurigan Rahino. All right. Thank you for coming back on the show. So now you may remember her from her last episode during our launch series on answering the question on health. So great to have you here again. Thanks for having me again, Jonah. So, you know, I know from your bio, you wear many different hats. So you're mm -hmm. a private chef, a fitness instructor, you know, even appearing on daytime news shows as a regular guest chef. Yeah. It, all to promote and inspire healthy living. And we actually didn't get to talk about it last time with your question of answering health. So how did you get into all of these roles to begin with? You know, it just kind of happened organically. I did go to culinary school. I went to culinary school back in Chicago. And um, I worked in the industry when I was living in Reno. And when I had my son, when I had Zared, I went back to school to be a nurse. But when I moved to Texas, nursing school didn't work out. I applied to different programs, like three different programs, didn't get into a single one of them. And um, I was just kind of like, now what? <laughs> mm -hmm. I was just, you know, I was just kind of, during the time when I applied to nursing school, I was cocktail waitressing at a restaurant and I was working the front desk at Gold's Gym. Mm -hmm. And um, I was just waiting. And this is in San back. Antonio. And this is when I moved to San Antonio. Zared was already five years old in kinder. So I was just kind of waiting for the application to come back to return to me. So mm -hmm. when I got the denial letters, um, I was just kind of like, 
I don't know. I didn't really know what to do, but I was open. And um, I was looking on Craigslist and I met, um, I saw a private chef who needed an assistant. So I reached out to her. I worked with her for a little bit and um, realized that's something that I could do on my own. So I slowly built the business as I was working a full-time job. I got a job working as a sous chef in the Life Cafe at Lifetime Fitness. So while I was doing that, I kind of veered off and started this private chef business on the side. And the private chef that I was working for, she ended up moving. So she gave me all of her clients. Oh, and interesting. It, yeah, it was kind of like, you know, and then, you know, I paid her, you know, I had to pay her like 10% for like six months because it was like a finder's fee. Sure. So then I just slowly built that business as I was working as a sous chef full time. Uh, the job was Monday through Friday. So it was perfect for Zared. We had insurance. And as my business got bigger and it started growing, I was able to kind of bring those hours down. And um, I also became a fitness instructor while I was working at the gym. So when I was at Gold's Gym working the front desk, I was getting certifications. And then when I worked at Lifetime, I was basically recruited by the group fitness director and she trained me and then I started teaching all these different classes. So I was able to grow my business and then scale down as a sous chef and just become a fitness instructor and a chef. And um, cool. Very cool. I was going to ask you though, but before like all this stuff, you said you went to culinary school, like why Mm -hmm. make the choice of being a chef? You know, it was just a talent that I discovered one day. I grew up watching my dad cook. So, I mean, you know, my dad cooks. He like I grew up watching him come home from work and go straight into the kitchen and just be in the kitchen basically until my mom got home. So that was every single day, Monday through Friday. And um, I never really cooked a lot growing up besides like making sauces. Like I would make like sauces out of mayonnaise. <laughs> and like put it on chicken and then when I was young I don't know if you remember doing this but I don't know if you and I did this together but I used to do this a lot by myself I would take the the thing on the outdoor grill that caught the ashes like that silver platter thing that connected to an outdoor grill I would take that and I would walk around the yard and I would put stuff in it and I would pretend that I was cooking no, we like, did that. Hello, we did that, we did that together. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. It was we we made like I don't know. It was mud pie or whatever, yeah. whatever we were doing. Yeah, but that was like one of my favorite activities. Interesting, <laughs> right? <laughs> so then I don't know. Oh yeah, I was at. I went to school originally for music. I went. To, I did one year at Columbia College Chicago, and a friend of mine went to the culinary school for a summer and was taking cooking classes. So he told me about it. And then I just out of nowhere got interested, like it sparked my interest. And then when I was at my parents' house, I would just cook and I would cook food. And my parents were like, wow, this is really good. So then I decided to pursue cooking because music didn't work out. So right. But but then now, you know, it's a thriving business. What is the name of the business? Um, Right now, the name of the business is Sassy Chef. I'm actually working with a couple of coaches and a mentor. So I'm contemplating and probably going to be changing the name very soon. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it. But you have been able to scale it such that you have individual clients where you Mm -hmm. you prepare meals for them and you Uh even have some cooking classes too to teach people how to cook, correct? Yeah, I teach cooking classes and I wanted to reach people on a larger scale. So I started a blog and I've had my blog now for about 
three years. I started it in 2017. And it's neat because on the app of the blog, you can see like what countries are checking out your website. And I'm, I have people from all over the world looking at my recipes and reading my recipes. So it's, it's pretty cool. That's really so, cool. Yeah, it's really and, cool. And so you've also been a daytime talk sh- or you know news yes. show mm-hmm. guest. Mm-hmm. And how, how is that? What do you normally so, do on the show? All I do is just share my recipes and they basically, I have such a great relationship with them. I've been going on the show since 2011. They basically just text me, the host, who's a good friend of mine. She usually just sends me a quick message and says, you want to come on the show (laughs) on this date? And I'm like, sure. And then I'll be, she'll be like, make whatever you want. Or she'll be like, you know, create like 4th of July recipes or, you know, she'll like give me a theme, but I get free reign to make whatever I want. Just as long as it's healthy. Sure, of Um, course. So when I was renting a commercial, I've rented a few commercial kitchens here in San Antonio. One of them was called Bake, Boil, and Brew. They created a little ad for me in the San Antonio Express newspaper. And the show, Daytime at Nine, saw that. One of the producers saw the ad. So she reached out to me and checked out my social media pages. And then one day she called me asked me to be a guest on the show, showcasing my recipes. So I did. And then a year later, they invited me again. And then on that one show, they asked me to be a regular on it. So that's fantastic. Yeah. It's really cool. I'm very grateful. Yeah. That's, you know, you, it seems like you've had a lot of good success Mm -hmm. over the past several years. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, honestly, because we've known each other for so long, it's a very, you know, inspirational transformation story for you since things have not always been smooth. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I wanted you to take us back to the time with your journey of addiction. What okay. what ended up happening and how did it all start? So I I had my first drink at fourteen, and um, the first time I ever got drunk was the first time I ever had a drink. So I was at a high school party. I was fourteen years old, and um, I started drinking vodka straight out of the bottle, like right away. It was like I don't know why. Like I had never done anything prior to that. I didn't even like, I think maybe I had a sip of alcohol at a family function or something, maybe like New Year's and maybe like a sip of champagne or something. But it was literally like, I was at a high school party and there was vodka and then I grabbed it and then I was drinking it right out of the bottle until I was completely wasted. And and I remember going to that party and I remember like seeing the vodka there and I remember like, I want to get drunk. I'm going to get drunk. This is what I'm going to do tonight. And I was like, sure enough, like a couple hours later, I was vomiting everywhere. And then my girlfriends called their mom and they picked us up and they took us back to her house and she made me drink coffee and I was vomiting and they were walking me around the house. And it literally like, since then, it's like all I've ever known. I don't know why. I don't know why I started that young. I don't know why I went full force with it either because I know some, you know, some people in high school, like I was always the only one getting drunk. And I had friends who would like have a sip here and there or have beers, but I was literally known for the girl who was always drunk. And and I talk, you know, I've been to therapy and I've had four different therapists and, um, they think for, that for the addiction specifically, right? Yeah, for a lot of other things too. Like I'm an abuse survivor, um, and even like when I became a mom, I wanted to just. There was a lot of things that I had to deal with 
before like I took myself further or like before I had to like grow into a better human. I'm like, okay, I, there's a lot of things that I've dealt with that I haven't recovered from. Mm -hmm. So I would go to therapy and I would ask them, you know, and they think that something maybe happened in my early life for me to make those kind of choices so young. Mm -hmm. So I don't, you know, I don't know, you know, like, I don't know, but that's when it started. And it was literally just, Every time that we would hang out with friends, that's all I ever wanted to do was drink. And then I started smoking pot. So then I started smoking pot at 15. Um, the first time I ever snorted anything on my nose was at 15. So it was just something that was a part of my life. And so I didn't want to do anything. The only way I could have fun was with alcohol and drugs. The only way I would get out of a bad mood was with alcohol and drugs. That was always just my go-to. So then I gravitated towards people who were like me. So then it seems like it was a normal thing to do because everyone mm -hmm. around me was doing it. Mm -hmm. That's all I've ever known. But then, you know, as I got older, and it's like, it's not something that when I think of like people who were addicted to drugs, like, and whenever I thought about addiction before at a younger age, I thought it was something that you did every single day. So, I mean, I didn't think it was a big deal because I wasn't doing it every single day. But like every chance I had to do it, I would. Mm. Like that was just mm -hmm. something that it was just what I was doing. And then as I got older, you know, like the harder drugs became like not necessarily like an everyday habit, but it was again, like an every weekend habit. Like I wasn't having fun unless that's what I was doing. And my really dark years was between 23 and 25. Like literally, yeah. So really right before I had Sarah mm -hmm. and that's when the addiction kind of like, cause it wasn't just the drugs. It was the alcohol. It was the toxic relationships. Like everything at that point was toxic. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, I couldn't do anything else. Like I accepted my life and that was who I was. So that's just what I was doing because I didn't know to do anything else. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it definitely makes sense. But I mean, if that was what you were used to for such a long time, yeah, what was in it that triggered you to, to be aware of what was going on or even want to make change? Well, it was two months prior to getting pregnant. I hated my life. Like I hated it so much because it was just going south. I wasn't doing anything that I liked. I was working all these jobs. I mean, luckily for me, I always had a great work ethic. So even when I was like a size zero, 90 pounds, like nasty dark circles under my eyes, doing drugs as much as I can, I still had like three jobs. <laughs> because I'm like, I need to feel something. Like I feel worthless, but at least if I could do anything, I could work. So I, I worked. I, had, I was a bartender. I was a cook at a vegetarian restaurant. I was cleaning floors at the vegetarian restaurant. I like volunteered to be their janitor to clean the bathrooms. Like I just was constantly like running in circles because I was so upset with the person that I became. But even then I knew like I had to change. I just didn't know how. And I, the, my boyfriend at the time who later on became the father of my child, like I had a long conversation with him and I was like, okay, I'm done. Like with this life, things need to change. I need to go. And, um, we ended up staying together. And then two months later I got pregnant with Zared. So, so, I mean, it definitely came from a place within yourself, just being sick with the life you were living. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. 
Um, and I always knew like, there's something more than this. I know this can't be life. Like I know it, this can't be it. So then what did you do to make changes? What are the things, specific things that you can recall back on that, you know, either resources or people you talk to, like what were those things that helped you to start the process of recovery? Well, luckily, honestly, the only thing that really triggered me to make changes was getting pregnant. Like if I didn't get pregnant, I don't, I think I would probably still be running in circles because I would have conversations with my sisters, with my friends and you know, they all knew I was in a really bad spot in a really bad place in my life and mm-hmm. the relationships and, you know, like, like there was so much fighting and there was like, you know, all we did was drugs. That's all we did was work for our habits. Mm-hmm. And then we wasted our time with drinking alcohol. I mean, there was no progression in our lives whatsoever. And it was just a very difficult, challenging relationship because both of us, me and my ex were abuse survivors who were Mm -hmm. addicts. So it was like, we could not make life happen with each other, for each other. And I think literally just getting pregnant was just a wake up call. And like the minute I found out I was pregnant, it was like everything stopped, I quit everything. And I was sober, obviously, for nine months. And then Mm -hmm. a couple months after I had Zared, I fell into bad habits again. Mm-hmm. Not all the time, but like if he was at the babysitter, I would go straight to those previous bad habits again. Mm-hmm. Because that's again, that's all I knew. And it wasn't really until we moved to Texas is when things really started changing. So when I was in Reno and I, as a single mom, I was like living two different lives. So I was like a single mom who was in school, taking care of my son, making things happen. And on the weekends, I was a bartender. So when he would go to his dad's for the weekend, I was this crazy party girl bartender who started doing Coke again on the weekends. And I literally was like two different people living a double life. And that was going on for about three to four years. In Reno. In in Reno. And And then it made me feel like my life was going south again prior to getting pregnant, how I hated my life. Well, I hated myself because I couldn't kick those bad habits. Like I was still, and like, and I think because my serotonin levels were so messed up because like during the week I'd be sober and then on the weekends I wasn't. So it was just like this back and forth, constant like roller coaster of toxicity. (laughs) And then like, like even during the week I would exercise and I would work out and on the weekends I would like throw it all out the door. Mm -hmm. It was like drinking all weekend and doing cocaine and it was terrible Mm -hmm. so it really things didn't really change until i moved to texas so why did you decide to move to texas so there was an issue with his father with my son's biological biological father and it was during the recession chris lost his job and so he fell into really bad habits as well like his alcoholism got really intense like he was sneaking liquor in in water bottles, like it was really, really bad. That's when Zared and I left Reno and moved to San Antonio. So it was like, we just had to go to get him as far away from him as possible. And then when we moved here, we had to go back to Reno for court. We were fighting for custody. I finally got sole custody. I think it was 2011, 
2012 was when I got sole custody. We moved here in 2009 and Chris got clean for a little bit and he would go back for the summer times. So one summer, Zared came back to San Antonio and he told me that he never wanted to go back again. So after that, it was over. He never went back. So we moved here just to get a better life. And even it's funny because even while like, just like the year leading up to our move to Texas, like I was manifesting a lot and I was like, this isn't life. I'm not happy. I don't like where our lives are going. I need to get out of here. And I just kept saying that to myself over and over and over again. Like there's gotta be something else other than this. Like, because I was living that dual life and because I felt like I had no way out, like I was just basically praying and hoping for something to happen where we didn't have to live the life that we were living anymore. And Mm -hmm. we came to Texas. So everything changed. I mean, I think part of, you know, that was pivotal in your recovery process was removing yourself from the environment you were in. Absolutely. Yeah. So after you moved, what are the things that helped you to stay sober? Like what resources did you use? Was it you know, people that you talk to, your friends, or was there a specific organization kind of like, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous? Like, what were those things that you leaned on to stay sober? So for me, my sobriety journey has taken years. I honestly didn't go 100% sober until the start of COVID. So I would still drink. And mm-hmm. even like the past 10 years I've been living in San Antonio, as healthy as I am, when I would drink, I would binge drink. Mm-hmm. And I didn't drink often, but when I would, it was like I was drinking until I blacked out. And that's how it was. And I knew that there was an issue with that. I'm like, you know, normal people don't drink like this. Like I, I can't just go to a restaurant and have a couple glasses of wine and be okay with it. Like if I had a couple glasses of wine at the restaurant, then I would want to go home and pick up a bottle of wine on the way home. So For me, this was something that I've been contemplating for a long time, and Mm -hmm. I kept going back and forth and back and forth with it. I listened to a lot of success stories. That's what I use for resources. I listened to a lot of thought leaders, Brene Brown, Tony Robbins, Mel Robbins, Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, social influencers, but those who are also self-made billionaires. And I, I... listen to them. And I noticed that the common thing with all of those people is that they're all sober. And I've always had big dreams and big goals. And I just felt like that it was literally just the next step. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you've come this far, you've recovered, you've had four therapists, you know, like you've built a business from nothing. Like, I feel like if I wanted to go even further, that was the next step for me to cut out alcohol. And like the first week of COVID, we were, I was drinking like every single day. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure most people were. But um, it was like bottles of wine after bottle of wine after bottle of wine. And then one night I woke up, I was hungover, and it was just like, I'm done. I'm done. Mm-hmm. And then that was it. But it was just like I was looking for examples of people who were sober. And I was listening to why they went sober. And a lot of these people had habits like me. And I I saw that if they could do it, I could do it. And the fact that you've always, you know, you want something new for your life. This is the new thing that you could present to yourself. This is the one thing that you can control, that you can change. You can change this. You can make this decision, this choice. So Mm -hmm. it like, I really had to think about it. Like, I think for some people, maybe they need a support group. Like maybe Mm -hmm. that was my support group was just listening to people talk about their stories 
And as of now, like I, I have no desire, no desire to drink. Zero. That's no, that's remarkable because, you know, these bad habits are very difficult to let go of. And so, you know, whether it be turning to, you know, support groups or your family and friends or finding online resources, I think it's, it's important what resonates with you Mm -hmm. and continues you on the path of sobriety to keep that way because, Mm -hmm. um, it's so easy to slip back down that path. And I have, like, I have slipped down the drug path, like Mm -hmm. a few times out of ever since I, when I left Reno, like I I've slipped, I've slipped. Mm -hmm. I'm not proud of it, but I I did. Mm -hmm. And I always vowed myself that I would never do any hard drugs again. And then I would slip. But like, I think once I shifted that mindset and, you know, also a lot of it is like, what are you doing? Are you running away from a bad habit or do you want a better life? I think once you make that decision, instead of running away from something, because when you run away from something, you're in fear, right? And you're mm-hmm. like in this fight or flight, like I have to get away from this. I don't want to be this person. I'm so ashamed. But if you're running towards something like a goal and you're like, no, I want to accomplish this. I want to do this. I want to, and I'm not stopping and I'm not going to let anything get in my way until I achieve my goal. I think once you make that switch, it's a lot easier to kick those bad habits. Mm-hmm. That may, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. In a way, it kind of crowds out the bad habits. You're focusing yeah. on these good habits and mm-hmm. you know, you don't, there's only so much uh, amount of time and effort in one day to devote to one thing. Yeah. So if you're devoting those things to, you know, positive behaviors and, and good habits, you won't have time to do that other stuff. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think at the same time too, it comes with a whole, you know, thinking positively and positive psychology that comes yeah. along with, with the good habits. Right. Mm-hmm. And that stuff is uplifting and inspiring. Right. So in, Besides those things you listen to and those success stories, what has kept you motivated to stay sober? Are there specific things in your mind that you think about when, you know, you're left with this choice of, you know, I I used to do these things, but now I'm living this new life. Like, what are those things in your mind? So I am a firm believer in this sounds cliche, but it's true. If you want something you've never had, you have to do something you've never done. Just as a side note, I, I'm in the middle of reading this audiobook or listening to this audiobook called uh, Buddhism Plain and Simple. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things they talk about in meditation and Buddhism is this yearning for something outside yeah. of like, you know, what we're normally yearning for. And it's those things, for example, like you were saying with drug addiction or turning into alcohol or, you know, even outside of that, like, you know, foods, right. Mm -hmm. Or even sex, these things are like ordinary desires that we have. And it doesn't quench that, that continued yearning for something beyond that. And so with what you're saying right now, totally makes sense. And it's applicable because it's analogous. Like you, Mm -hmm. if there's something you want done and you, you've been doing the same things before you can't achieve that new thing with those same things you've been doing. It's yeah. like the whole definition of insanity, you know, like yeah. doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. So yeah. that really, you know, resonates with what that type of, you know, thought process is that mm-hmm. you do have to change something differently in your life if you want something new. Yeah, absolutely. And with getting like being like working with business coaches and stuff, like I really want to take my business to the next level. And I think one of the reasons why I want to change my name is because 
I made a lot of mistakes as sassy chef in business. And now that I'm just like changing everything, I just want to start over. I want to start over. I want to start this new brand. Right. That is, that's going to be completely 100% successful. And I, like, I've changed myself. Now it's time to change my brand. Like I just, that's one of the reasons why I think I want to change my business name is because I really just want a fresh start. Like I do, I just, I feel like I have completely set the old person, like the old Heather aside, she is completely gone and I'm ready to just open up myself to the universe to whatever's going to come. So that's amazing. So, so, and then let me ask you, you know, what is the greatest thing you've learned through this entire process, would you say? I think that, again, as cliche as it sounds, like we're, we really can accomplish anything we want, anything we want. Like we can, we can do anything we want when we're ready for that to happen. And it's not about just setting our mind, you know, when we set our mind to it, but like you could pretty much do and become any person that you want. And I feel like with me, I have changed so much and I'm constantly evolving. And in this process, I feel like just giving up alcohol has already cleared my head and I'm more comfortable with my goals and I'm more comfortable with who I am to complete them. So yeah, change, growth. Change, growth. Yeah. Okay, great. I mean, you know, talking about addiction and just general terms, you know, doing something over and over again, despite harmful consequences. I think a lot of times people think, you know, maybe in your case or other people who do drugs or, you know, are, are complete alcoholics, like laying in the alley. Like yeah. if we use kind of like a more looser term to define addiction, I feel like there's a spectrum of addiction that mm -hmm. everyone might apply to, right? Mm -hmm. Whether that's being food addiction or you right. know, addiction to electronics and social media, you know, smartphones, right? Yeah. So, you know, people struggle, I feel like, with addiction across the spectrum. So, and they may be questioning whether they even have a problem to begin with, right? Mm -hmm. And it starts affecting things like their work, their relationships. Mm -hmm. And so... I think part of it is being fully honest with yourself. And so those people that may realize there might be something going on, but they aren't fully honest with themselves. Like, what would you say to these people where there is a problem, they might be seeing signs of it, but they're not like fully honest with what's really going on. What would you tell these people? I think that First of all, if they're curious about whether or not they're addicts, I would probably ask them because in my experience and how I felt my addiction was, it's like, I know I'm doing something wrong, but I can't stop. Mm. Like, so to me, that was my addiction. I know what I'm doing is wrong. I know it's bad. I know it's bad for me. I know it'll probably affect other people. It'll be bad for the people around me, but I can't stop. So I probably yeah. ask them, like, are you comfortable with what you're doing? Or do you know that it's bad for you? Because some people are totally okay with drinking all day, every day, throughout the night. Like some people are totally okay with doing Coke and shooting heroin, you know, like maybe they're fine with it. But like, for me, I was not like in the beginning I was, but like the more it went on, like I knew it was wrong, but I couldn't stop. So I'd be like, all right, well, can you stop this? Is this something that you could stop tomorrow? Mm -hmm. And if they're like, no, I can't then I would be like, okay, well then you first thing you need to do is you need to look at your surroundings 
And if everyone around you is doing this, you need to get the hell away from these people. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was easy. I was able to move away. Like I took myself out of the situation. Not Mm -hmm. everybody has that luxury. So literally the first thing to do, if you want to recover, if you want to start taking that road is you just need to cut everybody off. And it's mean and it's, you might not be able, a lot of people who depend on substances are usually codependent. So that is going to be very hard for them to leave a situation, you Mm -hmm. know, but it's just a process. It takes time. And that's when you reach out for help. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, that's when you go to AA or you reach out to family members or you reach out to somebody who, you know, will be there, people that you trust, people that you know won't take advantage of you. And that's why AA would be a good place to go because those people are strictly there just for support. They're not there for any other purpose. Mm-hmm. There is no ulterior motive, but I think removing yourself from the situation is the first step. I see. And so for those who are struggling with addiction, but they do realize, yeah, this is a problem and I'm willing to make a change. Like what's the one thing you would tell those people when they're, they're ready to change? Get rid of everything toxic. So look around your house, like get rid of anything toxic, alcohol, you know, toxic relationships, like cut people off. Stop watching toxic television. Have you ever seen Ozark? That was so toxic. I had to stop watching it because Mm -hmm. I was like, I can't. Anything that's going to affect you negatively. Mm -hmm. I I Mm -hmm. think that that would be the first step is to get rid of all the shit that's around you. And then once that's all cleared, then you can start doing the other work of like adding the positive stuff in going outside, you know, like replacing. So I replace drugs with fitness and, and then I would suggest for people to replace, replace something with their habits. Also like focus on what you love. Like, what do you like to do every, there's something that aside from drugs that people like to do, you know, like I love to cook. I like to create, I like to exercise. I like to dance. You know, I focused on every single one of those things and I just put 100% and it helped that I was also a mom. So I was able to focus on me. I didn't. And and that's another thing too, is that when I had Zared, I was able to take the distraction away from myself and I put it on him. So like, Mm -hmm. and when I was through what I like to call the dark period of ages between 23 and 25, I didn't like myself, you know, like I, I did not like who I was. So I had this perfect child and I was able to love my child. I didn't have to love myself anymore. You know, I didn't have to think about that. So with that, when the recovery start focusing on what you love, things, self care is what everybody, you know, self care, Mm -hmm. take care, take care of the things that make you whole whatever that is. Yeah. And I think you touched on the point of, you know, focusing your efforts on Zared, you know, again, drawing it back to Buddhism and mindfulness, you know, there's this old Buddhist saying, and I actually mentioned it to another guest who was on the show that, you know, if you want to be miserable, think about yourself, but if you want to be happy, think about others. And I find that rings true for anyone in any situation, Mm -hmm. you know, there's so much positivity and joy that comes with service and helping others. It's true. And so, so true. refocusing your efforts on those things can provide mm-hmm. like an unending source of joy for yourself. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately we are out of time, Okay. but where can people find you online? 
You can find me on my website at YourSassyChef.com. I'm also on Instagram at YourSassyChef, Facebook, and Twitter. And tell us real quick, because you did something during the pandemic that, you know, because of your professional endeavors was kind of impeded. You started something called Kofi Fit. Yeah. 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 So tell us so, a little bit about it. So quick. that was just, uh, once the gyms got shut down, um, I'm on a lot of social media fitness groups and, um, people on them were just kind of like the ones that went to the gym that I used to work at. They were just kind of at a loss. They didn't know what to do. And because I'm a group that I've been a group fitness instructor for 10 years, I know how much our members rely on these classes. So I just decided to start them because I figured I was going to work out anyway. It would hold me accountable. It would make me happy and it would make them happy. So we just started making these classes, which I'm actually going to be shifting into a business within the next couple of weeks. So I've been offering them online for free, donation-based only. And then now I'm going to kind of pair it with my business, what I currently do, and just kind of clump it into one big business. So we do free online classes right now on Facebook, three days a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. It's been great. I'm very blessed and grateful that people are still doing the workout. So that's awesome. And it's been great for everyone. It's been a kind of like a safe space for us to keep us healthy. Right. I think very important during this time. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Heather, for being on the show. Uh, you know, outside of us uh, in this format, you know, you're also my cousin. So I'm very, yeah. <laughs> very proud of how you've been able to turn around your life. Honestly, mm-hmm. uh, it comes from the bottom of my heart. So love you very yes. much. We will see you hopefully again soon. Maybe we can have yeah. some cooking uh, tips on uh, healthy eating in the near future. But till then, we'll, uh, we'll see you soon, okay? Okay, sounds good. Yeah. Thanks, Jonah. Love you. I love you too. Take care. How was that one for you? How incredible of a person is Heather Lurigan Reno? I hope our talk will help to inspire you to quit your unhealthy habit and to realize that whatever you are personally struggling with, real change is possible. And Heather is living testament to that. So if you want to reach out to me about this or other topics, I would really love to hear from you. So hit me up on my email, drjonar at gmail.com or on my social media. Also, please let Heather know on her social accounts what you thought about this talk. You can find all these links in our show notes. I am thankful to have Heather Lurigan Reno on the show. And as always, so thankful to you for tuning in to hear our talk. So if you like what you heard, please subscribe, like, and review my podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with your family, friends, and online because sharing is caring. Thanks again to the wonderful and smart Amelia Liu, my intern, to Jacob Ferrer for production help and to Stock Sounds for the music. And lastly, to you. Thank you again for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode with Anthony Masiello, who will talk to us about his incredible health journey of losing over 150 pounds and keeping it off for good. Remember, your state of health starts with your state of mind. So till next time, enjoy the process, my friends.
This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical advice, so please talk to your primary physician for that. In addition, the views and opinions expressed by me are my own and not that of my former, current, or future employer. This also applies to my guests. Finally, we do our best to make every effort to relay correct information. We do not guarantee its accuracy. Thank you for listening.